Hey kids, welcome to another exciting edition of Conspire Theory. I have with me Thomas Clemens of Robot Friday and ThomasClemens.com. Is that right? And no, it's uh, RobotFriday.com. Um, I don't have ThomasClemens.com, so I don't know exactly where that goes. But, uh, <laughs> oh God, well, tell us where we need to go to get the right direction then. <laughs> um, yeah, I've um, got RobotFriday.com and then my other website that I have is WelcomeToHopeTexas.com. And that's my graphic novel that I've been working on. Uh, I'm about on 50 pages right now on that. And, and the Robot Friday uh, website, I have been working on that comic for 10 or 12 years. Uh, technically, right now, the it's at an ending. So there hasn't been any new comics on there for a couple of years. But uh, there's about over 800 comics on there now from the last 10 years. So. But, uh, but outside of that, you know, I've been a graphic designer for 25 years. I've been doing comics for 10 or 12 years and, uh, I'm all over the internet, all over social media. Just look up Thomas Clemens on there and, uh, I'll pop up. Oh, that's good. That's good. I've, I've, I found you on many different places. Oftentimes the newest thing that I've seen you on is Parlor, which I'm having oh, a yeah. lot of fun on. Having so much yeah, fun. On yeah. Yeah. I, um, I really love Parlor. Um, there was somebody the other day that summed it up really nicely about, the feel of parlor is parlor feels like classic Twitter did, you know, back in the day, back when they first started the first couple of years, you know, you could get on Twitter and kind of have fun and, you know, see what people are doing. And it was fun. And before they got all Gestapo and crazy. Yeah. And um, that's kind of how parlor is right now. You know, having said that about Twitter being Gestapo and I don't really trust a lot of people anyway, I'm always just thinking in the back of my mind for now, parlor's fun. But, uh, you know, give them a few years. I don't know. I hope not. I hope they, I hope they stay this way, but. Yeah, that's good. I mean, every now and then it seems like these, these tech giants see, they seem to go through these type of cycles where they'll get really big. And then what made it fun is, is spoiled because it's all just commercials and it's like, oh, yeah. we have to stop everything because they're getting it. Your free speech is getting in the way of our commercials and, yeah, and stuff like exactly. that. And, and it's, it's just. It's getting a bit of a heyday, but one of the things that, that I wanted to bring you on to talk about was the fall of the uh, mainstream comics industry, namely Marvel and DC, that mm -hmm. they started out in the early 2000s as like this sort of, you know, this sort of growing force. And we saw the influence of the, the superhero bubble start to rise. Yeah. And I think you had some interesting things to say about that. So why don't you just go ahead and, and take it from here? Sure. Yeah. Um. To be real honest about the comic book industry, I guess the real rise of the superhero, it, man, it, it's kind of weird because, you know, go, if you, if you, I'm not like a comic historian or anything, but if you kind of pay attention to some histo history of the comics, you know, back in like the thirties and forties, comics were mainly like Westerns and romance comics. And that's what like sold. And then near, you know, World War II, somewhere around there, you know, they start, they introduced the superhero comic, you know, uh, the concept of the superhero with Superman, I think was one of the first, if not the first, uh, big superhero comic. And then from there, you know, it's been kind of like a ramp up. And I, I think personally that it hit kind of critical mass in the nineties when image started and then uh, like broke out of like the whole structured bubble of how comics are made and everything. Yeah. And then like superhero comics, I think really kind of hit that critical mass at that point. Yeah. The nineties the comics boom. Most of yeah. the nineties into the 
2000s and early 2000s. And then I think that's when we started seeing a dip. Yeah. Yeah. And that dip, it's not just us that are seeing just as, as creators and consumers and stuff like that, but it's also mm -hmm. as the comic shops. I just want to let's lean oh, yeah. into the comic shops a bit because before well, the industry as a whole, yeah, because, the, um, because for what I've been telling my friends for the last 20 years or so is that, um, the comic book industry that everybody calls a comic industry, I don't feel like there's been ever an industry, standalone comic industry. I think comics have always been like on the fringe of the entertainment industry, industry, and they've been kind of more, and what's happening today is it really feeds into this, but they've been more of a marketing tool for other larger money making parts of the entertainment industry rather than an industry in itself. And now when you've got companies like uh, Disney bought, bought up Marvel, and of course, you know, Warner Brothers had, has owned DC for, I think, all of my life. Now you've got these big conglomerates owning these, you know, comic houses. We're seeing that pretty much that's what comics have been relegated to, in my opinion, is kind of like a marketing tool for the movies for Marvel or the TV shows for DC or what, what you know, toys or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, they're doing a piss poor job at it because I mean, one of the things that I remember uh, when I was younger, or you know, a whole ten years ago, when uh, when the Marvel when the Marvel boom, the the Avengers boom first started, mm -hmm. is that they would they would have all these you would you would go into the movies and you would see all these awesome Captain America movies and they were you know really cool and awesome. Then I would go into the comic shops. And the comic books would not reflect what yeah. I would what I was seeing on the screen, and yeah. instead it was like it, it's like wait a minute, like the Steve Rogers Captain America, which I see on the screen, is not the 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 Steve Rogers that's in the books. It's it's like some right. other guy. They had some other guy do it, and they had like, and it's it's just been a a, a whole cluster mess. And uh, one of the things that, that I've noticed, of course, is that, you know, the comic shops, you know, they're pretty much, you know, selling comics less and less and less. Oh, and yeah. now they're basically, you know, it's it's hard to come into go into a comic shop and, you know, find comics. Usually they'll be in back issue bins and they'll have like a few racks, yeah. but it's mostly a um, Magic the Gathering store or they got yeah, Funko yeah. Pops. I mean, when I was uh, a kid in the 80s, when I, I was, uh, I guess I was like 12 or 13, 14, something like that, around the mid 80s. And uh, when I would go into my local comic book shop, first off, there were two places you could find comics. There was like at the grocery store on the rack, you know, before they went to direct market. And then the other places, if you like wanted to get like comics that weren't, you know, quote unquote, your mainstream things, you'd go into the usually the one comic book shop that t the town had, if you were lucky. And that, th that place, I remember going in there and it felt like, like this utopia because it was like, you could not, it was all this cool stuff and, and it was comics and books and, and, and just tons of stuff like that. It wasn't necessarily like you see today when you go into comic book shops, you see, 
you know, collectibles that are in the glass cases and you see, like you said, all the magic cards or the trading cards yeah, or the, whatever. And then the table you, know, you not have one table of comics over in the corner. This was like chock full of comics and it was just like you wanted to get in there and start just digging through things. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think again, again, the nineties, that whole decade really kind of was a, a, a turning point or something for the whole industry and any of the industries like the um, comic book shops and stuff that, you know, were dependent on the comic book industry to stay stable. Uh, there was kind of a big turning point there because, you know, magic, I think when, when it first started was like mid to early nineties. And so you saw more comic shops getting into that and then you saw more to- comic shops. Of course, you know, Dungeons and Dragons comic shops have always kind of dabbled in, but even when I was a kid, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons was a huge deal. But it wasn't like that permeated the comic book shops. They sold that stuff, but it wasn't like that's what you went for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've noticed that most comic shops now, you know, it's it's like you'll be lucky to find one because they've all either they've gone under. Yeah. But the thing is, they've been going under even before the COVID hit because that's oh, what yeah. everyone is using now is as an excuse. You know, it's like oh. You know, we're failing because of COVID and even before COVID, you know, it was failing. I mean, I think the, the life expectancy for comic books, you know, pre, pre pandemic was five years that they would dip in five years. Yeah. And then this, of course, the, the pandemic just, it just accelerated that, took it from five years to like two weeks in, in less than two weeks, you know, shops just completely went under. Personally, I think there was a one-two punch for the demise of comic shops the way we knew them. Mm -hmm. And it started in the 90s with the direct market. Um, The direct market was sold to, I think, comic shops and and fans and everything alike as kind of this, um, this, this savior for the industry where you could only get comics through the comic book shops and through a direct market. And then that would bolster everybody's sales and this and that and whatever. And the only, from what I can see, and I'm not an economist or a comic book historian or a comic economist or anything like that, but from what I can see, the only company, the only people that really benefited from direct direct markets were the publishers and the distributors. And the comic book shops did for a while, but when the publishers started making, well, in the course of a handful of years. Comics literally went from like 85 cents, and this was like late 80s, 85 Mm -hmm. cents to three bucks by like 92, 93. I mean, that's a huge jump. That's like a giant inflation of, of, of a product. You know, that'd be like going from, you know, what's it like $3 for a gallon of milk to $25 for a gallon of milk Mm -hmm. in two years. That's a huge jump. And, I think that right there, what that did was that kind of started um, killing out kids like me that would go into comic book shops, see things that we like, or even into grocery stores, see things that we would like, and, you know, either begging our parents for 45 cents or whatever, or scrounging around and having enough change to get a comic. You know, mm-hmm. now they needed to have, like, actual dollars, like four bucks, five bucks, whatever they were. Mm-hmm. And so I think that started the – slow march towards uh, what we see now in comic book shops because um, that pretty much e- it made it where 
there wasn't a lot of discoverability in comics, in my opinion, where you could go into a comic book shop and just find something that you thought was cool and then buy it. Because now you had a limited amount of cash that you, that you had to spend on things. So you either needed to know what you were going in there to buy or it needed to be cool enough that you're willing, you know, as a kid to spend three, four or five bucks on it. Uh, where, where, you know, you could take that same five, three, four, five bucks and go get some magic cards or go even to a movie or go buy a, you know, a, a used DVD or something like that. And so that started it. And then the next thing, which happened, you know, less than a decade later was the internet hit. And so when you have these two things coupled, which is the thing that used to be pretty cheap to buy, skyrocketed in price and the quality went up. I will say that as far yeah, as like I, the, I, the if, print I, if I could just interrupt for a up. second, I remember when the base was a dollar 99, when that was the base. And oh, if yeah. you paid more than a dollar 99, they had to really, really sell it because it's like, yeah. well, it's on glossy paper and the art is really good. And we're using top notch yeah. printers. Cause I remember buying Savage Dragon and it was like, you know, before it's like all oh, the Marvel comics were dollar ninety nine, and then we have the Image comics, which are more. But the expectation was that they were better quality, you know, because they were sort of yeah. the, the you know, the breakout. Like, oh, this is fresh new. T- this is the stuff that you can't get at Marvel or DC. You're getting here, right. and 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 there was this like uptick in quality that that we were sold. And now that's a hit and miss, in my opinion, too, because. Yeah, I'm in the print design industry. So I've worked with a lot of print shops in my career and I've worked in all kinds of print products that's, you know, textile and everything like that. And so, you know, I'm like a graphic design print nerd kind of guy. I mean, you know, I can yeah. sit there and watch printing presses run and just like be in awe of it and different stuff. Like, and I love yeah. the print. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know how the sausage is made. Yeah. Yes. But at the same time, Whenever I look at a comic on a shelf and, you know, it might be like a collection of newsprint comics and it's $5, but you get like 150 pages. And then there's another one that's like top notch, best printing you ever could see, glossy, you know, the foil and all that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. And it's five bucks too, but it's like 24 pages. I'm more inclined to get that newsprint one because I don't, I mean, I feel like I'm getting a better deal because I'm getting more pages. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So there are those people, I think, that, that do love the high-quality print and everything like that. But at the same time, I think because they're the high-quality print and they're the higher price, you do, at least in the beginning, they did lose, I think, some of that discoverability for new fans. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they didn't seem to really care that much about it or they weren't that concerned that they weren't getting new fans in. But now, 20, 30 years later... I think it's coming to hurt them, especially with the internet, because I think that's the second thing that hurt them yeah. is because now you had the internet where there's tons of people making their own comics. And a lot of these people were just as good as the quote unquote pros that were working for the business. And they're giving away for free, you know, in the early 2000s. And so people could mm. like look at their comics for free all over the place. Yeah. It's and hard, then, hard course, to beat free. people bootlegging comics and stuff, scanning them in and all that stuff too. And so I think the internet kind of did a bit, a big number on the comic book shops as well. Yeah. I think with the, with the rise of the internet, it also lowered the bar significantly Yeah, because before there was uh the, before when I was young and I was drawing, you know, my, my, in my, 
in, uh, you know, uh, little spiral notebooks and stuff like that. I figured the most I could ever get was an independent comic, you know, one of yeah. those where you, you send them in and stuff like is in one of the indies because they had a lower standard. And then now looking at what's being published, what's being passed as professional quality today, I'm like, yeah. whoa, you know, it's, it's like this is the quality and stuff like that has dropped. I think a lot of that is, is mostly, you know, it's, it, well, we'll get into more into that later, but I want to talk yeah. a bit more about the, these comic shops and about how, you know, a lot of them are, are pretty much, you know, they're dying out and they're dying out because even though, you know, they have all these comics and stuff, like the comics that they're getting is stuff that they can't sell because the traditional comic buying audience is just, even though they know what's out there now with the internet and free previews and all that stuff. And sometimes you can get like a free issue number one of whatever, you know, yeah. the people just aren't buying them as much as they used well, to because these comics just aren't that interesting anymore. I'll agree there, but I think too, um, another big reason comic book shops are dying and they've been dying for 20 years mm -hmm. is just like music stores, just like, um, newsprint, newspaper comics, just like any of the, you know, legacy media type of things is they ignored that their industry and the world was changing in a way that people wanted to consume things differently than what they were profiting on at the time. So they just ignored it and hoped that it wouldn't change in my opinion. And then when you have places like Amazon and Comixology and, you know, a multitude of different places, especially with the publishers selling direct to customers and stuff too online. There's no need to go into the comic book shop anymore. And then on top of that, what a lot of comic book shops did is they tried to stock more adult oriented type of things and publishers started pushing more adult oriented type of things, which then killed the kids coming in and because their parents were like, yeah, I'm, we're not going in there. And, and let's be honest, um, the comic book guy from the Simpsons isn't as stereotypical as you think either. Yeah. Because there was a lot of comic book shops I've gone into where they make you feel like, what are you doing here? You moron. And so I think all of these things they ignored and, when they finally started realizing we need to start bailing water out of this sinking ship, I think it was too late at late at that point. And then, like you said, you know, COVID hit yeah. and diamond started to stop distributing to, you know, and that's another thing. I mean, that's another behind the scenes stuff is diamonds, the distributor, they, uh, you know, or at least they were before COVID, I guess, but they were the distributor. And I don't know how many comic shop owners that I've talked to personally that when, you know, you talk about diamond, they just like cringe and roll their eyes and they're like month after month. It's like working with the devil because it's just, it's just a pain in the butt for them. It, it because, you know, diamond sends them books and, and some of the boxes will be crushed and all that stuff and the books will be mangled in there. And then what are you going to do? You got to send them back and then it puts you on laid on your pull list and stuff like that. So anyway, I mean, it's just all these intricate little things that I think. The comic book shops either ignored or they didn't have the power to change. That's pretty much. Yeah. I remember going back to what you were talking about, about having the more adult market. I remember growing up 
and seeing that, it didn't hit me, but I, I just felt that as I was growing and maturing, you know, mm-hmm. I was sort of, I was sort of the target audience for that. Cause I remember they were having these more, you know, adult, like they're bringing in manga and stuff like that, which was more adult, yeah. more, I guess, R rated stuff like that. Not, not like specifically adult oriented, like pornography yeah, and no, stuff not, like that, but no, I mean, like, pornography or like, like, like uh, rated that, R grown up stuff. Yeah mature yeah. stuff for mature audiences. And, and I love that stuff. And I remember when uh, the comic shops would start to rent out anime VHS tapes. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that that was just the coolest thing because I was, you know, I, the, the, I think in the early nineties, there was an anime explosion and I was, I was riding that wave, but then, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I never thought about how that would make, you know, uh, other, other customers and stuff un, uncomfortable and stuff like that. But it also was changing. The market was changing and stuff like that. That that's true. Um, but the you know the very the little bit I know about business <laughs> is that there's basically two segments of business. There's the business that you've got, like customers, the fans that you've got that you've got to keep a hold of, and then you've always got to be bringing in new customers because eventually, especially with something like comics, eventually the customers you've got are going to age out, and not mm-hmm. all. People that love comics when they're younger do when they're adults. They outgrow it. And so you've got to have that new flux of younger uh, or just new customers coming in, whether they're adults or not. Yeah, shiny and new. A lot of the times to do that is you've got to hook, you know, you've got to, you've got to create, you know, for the lack of a better word and. And to be <laughs> real trendy with wording today, you've got to create a safe space for the parents to go, okay, I can bring my kids in here and the stuff that they're going to see isn't going to be stuff that I'm going to be embarrassed to try to explain what is going on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I think I know. I think in mean. the 90s there was a big explosion of, you know, the shops just were like, this stuff is selling crazy, crazy selling, and they didn't really care about, you know – the kind of impact it was making on the younger or on the newer audience coming in. Hmm. I can, I can see that. I can see that argument. Yeah. But as far as bringing it up to modern day, yeah. as far as what happens with the, the crash and all this stuff. And it seems like mm-hmm. the comics that are being produced today would never have cut the mustard, you know, 20 years ago or, or even 30 years ago, you know, like during the nineties, it's like, um, I remember, the I think it was the early 2000s or late 90s when uh, Marvel saw that indie comics were doing like really really good. They were getting positive buzz because they were, you know, because they had really well written stories and stuff like that. So they mm-hmm. produced um, like Marvel comics sort of indie style. Right, and every now right. and then Marvel yeah. would, like they'll they'll jump onto trends and I'll give them that much because they had like marvel manga they had marvel uh this indie comic and basically what they would do is they would take their x-men stories and they would you know they would draw them and they make them look like horse shit like the the indie comics at the time looked you know and yeah, and yeah there, there are some indie comics that are fantastic and wonderful but there are some that absolutely look like horse shit because oh, yeah, they're because they're they're independent grade and and it's just and it's like it's basically you know just some guy doing a thing and and you know, not not to hate on on all indie stuff like that because there is some remarkable indie talent out there. I'm I'm just pointing that out. But they, I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Personally, personally, I think with um with what you're talking about with the 
the seemingly low, lower kind of grade of uh, quality of uh, drawing and, and, and whatnot in yeah. the comics. I think there's a little bit of a two, two things going on there. I think first off, I think it's a changing sign of the times, I guess, for a better, better lack of it. Because when I was reading comics when I was younger, even in the eighties, especially in the eighties, it was all like John Buscema and, um, I can't think of anybody else off the top of my head, but these guys that had this, you know, the Marvel style and it looked pretty realistic and it was, it was what you consider, you know, your seventies and eighties comics. And it was all proportions were right and, you know, facial features were right and everything like that. And then you get into the nineties where that thing kind of became, um, uh, blase or whatever. And the more dynamic and crazy and the bigger, weirder, crazy and, uh, anatomical things were the, the way to go. And it was really crazy. And then, like you said earlier about the anime and all that, that explosion hit. I think with a generation that was just behind my generation in the nineties and then anime, I think has influenced a lot. Anime and manga has influenced a lot of the way Western comics have gone these days because you had a whole generation that's grown up on stuff like Dragon Ball Z and uh, other anime and manga stuff. And a lot of times, a lot of the manga and a lot of the anime you see more simplistic drawing, especially in anatomy and whatnot. It's all pretty correct and everything, but it's more simplistic. I mean, you have these detailed backgrounds and whatnot. And I think what we're seeing now, now that we have another generation that is into, you know, their twenties and thirties now is they remember those nostalgic things from anime and whatnot from their childhood and they're accepting of the what we call lower grade of quality in the comics in the mainstream comics and the mainstream comics are you know churning it out because that's what's selling for them well there there's there's if i could just make this argument they're stylized which is what you're describing uh-huh. and then there's just lazy and, yeah, and yeah you yeah, can okay. you can tell the I, I, difference between something that is intentionally stylized and something where it's just lazy. And, and in some indie comics, I would see some lazy artwork. And then the, oh, yeah. the, the excuse is always, well, it's independent. It's, it doesn't have to be yeah. to the professional standard. And I'm like, nah, you know, it, it, it still doesn't sell me. But the thing is, is that the, the stylized stuff, you know, even that, you know, can still be, you know, upper crust no matter what the style is, whether it's the True. Disney Mickey Mouse stuff, there, there is a standard that, that it's held up to. That is true. Yeah. You know, and now that you say that and, and I hadn't thought about this until just now, but, uh, the likes of stuff like Beavis and Butthead, I would not doubt has contributed to a lot of acceptance of this lower kind of lazy style look. I mean, in yeah. my opinion, I always thought Beavis and Butthead was just crap. <laughs> and, and, and some uh, people, and I think some people confused like a, a, a more, uh, rougher style for yeah. uh lazy yeah. that they think that that the person is taking shortcuts and stuff like that when it's just it's just that that's what that style is is it's supposed to look like that but it's the way that it's executed then some people pick up on that and they think like oh i don't have to try as hard because i'm doing this style right right yeah exactly and i think too the danger in that um <laughs> is you have what 
people now refer to as the, you know, the quote unquote 90s comic. Because if you pick up a, up a comic that has a certain, certain like 90s style, that's what people think of. It's like the 90s stuff, the over the top, the high, you know, breaking the panels. And if there's any panels at all and just a crazy anatomy and a, a blood and gore and all this and everything like that. Yeah. And that was real popular at the time, but now people look back at that and, you know, they're like, that's a joke. Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of, in my opinion, I mean, the stylized stuff works as long as it works. But if the whole industry is embracing stuff that's seemingly subpar, then you're just going to have, you know, in another 10 years, yeah, people yeah. look back on that and go, why did we even buy that? Yeah. I call that the Liefeld effect. Where oh, yeah, it yeah. was, where he said it was talent over training. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of his early art, you know, is, is absolutely, it, it looks atrocious. And yeah, I mean, he gets roasted, you know, regularly for that. Yeah. But now that he has gotten older, I'm sure that he's training and, and actually doing more that it's not, it's less flesh in the pan, stuff like that, because a lot of people, they'll take a look at his older artwork, which is, you know, extremely, you know, over stylized, but it wasn't properly, he didn't have the proper training at the time. And I'm right. sure that the artist that he is now is very much different than the artist that he was when he was being brought up. But then he sort of, you know, he was sort of like plucked very early and, and, you know, it's sort oh, of yeah. like, you know, he, he was sort of pushed to the front. As this sort of, you know, this sort of trendsetter, you know, that, that, and I think that that did a lot of damage to, because everyone else started to emulate that and they figured, well, right. if I emulate this type of style and stuff like that, you know, it's like, you know, and, and it felt like going for the actual training and stuff like that and learning proper everything was yeah. sort of a waste of time. It's like, no, I want to get this stuff done now type of thing. Yeah. Let's go ahead and, and just, you know, I, th I think we dug a bit <laughs> too much into that than I, than I would have liked. But it's, it's the thing is that what's happening in modern comics and it's been happening for years. It's been happening for like about maybe a decade or two is we have outside talent being brought in to what I would consider, you know, mainstream Marvel in DC. Cause they're pretty much the, they're pretty much. I mean, even though everyone says like, oh, you know, even though comics are dead, that doesn't mean that comics will stop being produced. No, it just means the major, the the mainstays, the two biggest houses, Marvel and DC, they're not making yeah. as much as they did before or as the quality as they did that, you know, mainstream comics is as an industry is sort of dead, but they, but yeah. they would, but they sort of brought their own demise by bringing in this sort of uh, outside talent of people who would have never uh, pursued a career in comics. But then they get in here and then they realize that they treat it more like it's a platform to espouse their personal politics rather than to a, a challenge to tell a good story or to win a new audience. And instead they're... I would agree. I, would agree. Um, I, I think what happened in those terms with comics because I've read a few articles and stuff on, on this um, from people that purportedly had, you know, inside information on what was going on at Marvel and, and places like that is that during the, the night, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of things we're seeing now stem back to the nineties because during the nineties, people didn't realize at the time what 
how Image scared the crap out of Marvel and DC and a lot of the big studios because all of their top talent left. They started uh, Image and then started outselling them. And so they had to scramble to figure out how to compete in this. And, of course, you know, ultimately they they powered back and they became the top of it. But from what I understand, a lot of the execs and the high up were like, okay, we can't let artists and writers have that kind of power anymore to be able to just leave and then leave us in the void like that. So what they did is then they put a lot of their – in the early 2000s, a lot of their um, kind of emphasis on editorial, and even in, in especially in the main 2000, middle 2000s, put it on editorial and started hiring a lot of, you know, editors that I think then started, you know, and editors that weren't necessarily, you know, comic book uh, fans or comic book um, people that grew up on comic books. They were, you know, people that were book editors and different things like that. And then those editors knew other people in you know uh, you know in publishing outside of comics that you know would they would bring in writers and and whatnot to do those things and i think that kind of is like you're what you're saying is that it then kind of opened the door for kind of like a rotating band of people that wouldn't that don't that first off don't know anything about the history of the comics they're writing or they're, or they're producing and that wanted to you know, quote unquote, shake things up and, and, and do something different or whatever. And so, so they, you know, would, would come up with wildly, in my opinion, radical storylines and things that they wanted to do, pushing agendas that probably if they had a better, better editorial and had better, um, uh, control, editorial that was controlled from the top down, um, might not have, you know, normally, got in as far as like some of the the stories and stuff that they that has been told uh but i think like you said it, it's a it's like it's a big hodgepodge of a bunch of factors that kind of like churned into this perfect storm of chaos kind of yeah and i and i think another thing too is i also blame the internet for that as well mainly oh, yeah. the the advent of twitter and and Tumblr and stuff like that, how the new school of writers and artists and stuff like that and and their supporting network of journalists, activist journalists, mm-hmm. they're not there to to make sales. They're there to, you know, just gain clout on Twitter because that's all they do. Yeah. I, I think there was a, a Disney um, documentary about, uh, one of their writers. I, I forget what the guy's name is. He's this short, fat, bald guy who, who constantly shits on people on Twitter. And it's about how he's, you know, constantly late all the time and it made him look horrible. Dan Slot. Yeah. That, uh, that, that's the name. Dan Slot. Mark Wade. Yeah. Dan <laughs> Slot and stuff like that. This is a handful. Yeah. And, and Dan Slot and how he was doing all this, this hor- just lazing about like an oaf. And he was just constantly on Twitter and stuff like that instead of doing his work. And he had like all yeah. this team of ghostwriters basically carrying his workload for it. And then he gets all the praise for it. Yeah. You know, and it's just that I think him, except everybody is him, you know, is, is there some kind of reflection of, of, of that sort of, uh, they're not, they're there. They're a type, they treat their job like it's a title to bash yeah. people on Twitter. Not like it's a responsibility that they have to uphold and, and that the customers that they're talking to are people that they need to respect. 
because there was a time where private companies and stuff like that and, and people that would work in us that where you separated work and play. Yeah. And now we've gotten to the point where people like are, are, you know, they're constantly, you know, on, on the, they constantly have their job hanging over them through Twitter. And that, you know, if you say or do something wrong or, or you don't even have to say or do anything wrong, you just had need, need an, an accusation. That's all you need. You know, I, I think it was Rush Limbaugh said it's, it's not the, it's not the evidence, but the seriousness of the accusations. All you need right. is for someone to take what you said or what you've done on your private time the wrong way. Doesn't matter what the context is. And then they, yeah. they, they present it to your employers or sponsors or whatever and you lose your job, you know, and, and that sort of has a win for them. And the right. thing is, is there's no, there's no way to fight that. There's no way to, to challenge that or to, you know, successfully, you know, bring that up because then if, if they don't get what they want, then they, they double down on it and they, right. and it's just, well, I think one problem in, in the, in the recent years, I guess in the, maybe the last five or 10 years, one problem is that companies tend to, um, hire people that already have a pretty huge following. You know, they'll, they'll see somebody that has a huge YouTube account, like, you know, a fo- followers, like a million people or a huge, uh, following on, uh, Twitter or Facebook of, you know, like a 500,000 or whatever. And so, they see the work that they're doing and they see the audience more importantly that they have. And so they'll hire them in to their, to their company to do X, Y, Z. But what happens is like you're saying, if anything goes awry at any point, this guy brought in 500,000 viewers that's loyal to him. And so if at any point he wants to ditch out or, smear the company or smear somebody that's working with him or whatever, then he's got a 500,000 people audience already ready to go to bat for him. And so the company doesn't have the loyal customers. That guy has the loyal customers. And then you've got from there, you've got a whole tree of people because any of us that are on social media, we have our own audience, whether it's a few hundred to a few thousand to a few million we have our own audience. So when you've got an entire, let's say, room full of people that have then a whole giant tree of followers and those people have followers and those people have followers and so forth and so on, you get chaos at that point because nobody is loyal to any one like organizing company or group. Everybody's loyal to their tiny little, you know, cliques and, and, and groups of people and, 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 People that are, appear to be, you know, big shots and stuff like that. And so, in my opinion, when you've got something like that, it's just, it's just, you know, the fire is just waiting to be lit. Yeah, I can see that. But one of the all the other issues is all those followers and stuff. No matter how much of an activist that person is, or or an accomplished writer, those mm-hmm. followers don't. Those million clicks don't always translate to a million sales. There's not always a one per one customer per click per sale. Um, a lot of these, these books that these people write do abysmal sales. I mean, the Miss Marvel line has been relaunched like three times and each time it's gone down lower and lower and lower each time. Uh, I think someone did a, a, 
did a, a like a, a like a long form uh, statistical analysis on it. Is that there was there's like a base customers of like I think thirteen, like uh, thirteen thousand or or thirteen hundred customers that were diehard customers and how every single time it would restart it would spike like lower and lower each time that they that they failed to get new customers with the title and then it would just bottom out at the at the 13 level and then now the 13 is starting to drop you know and and it's just that i mean yeah these people they have like a lots of clout and i can see where customers are 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 shaken by all this potential but that potential, unfortunately, doesn't translate to sales, which is what they were brought in for, or they should have been brought in for. But they're usually just brought in, as, as I guess, I guess I'll take a, a term from uh, your boy Zach, the YouTube guy. He he calls them purse puppies, where they're just there for oh, show. Yeah. And those types of of talent, you know, I mean, I'm sure they're great, you know writers, whatever it is, but a lot of them, you know, they're selling their agenda and their identity as they're selling points. And they're just self-inserting and writing themselves into these comics. Oftentimes they don't know or don't even care about the history of the characters that they're writing about. And and it's like, and sometimes these people, they just, they, they're grifters and they get themselves in, you know, like through either a publicity stunt or something like that, just so that way they'll always have a steady stream of work. Like, oh, they'll never fire me. They need me because I'm a purse pop. Like, I think it was Gail Simone. Uh, one of the uh, accusations is that she she wrote to the to DC and said, "You don't hire any women on on your team," you know. And, and DC, of course, you know, said, "Oh, we're scared. I guess we better hire her." And now she'll always get steady work from them. Even though her sales, you know, just don't reflect that, that much. And, and I'm sure she's done some good work. I've read some of her stuff that is actually kind of good, but it's like, it's one of those, you know, it's, she can write well, you know, enough when she wants to and stuff like that. But she's one of these type personality types that, you know, pretty much spends all her time on Twitter getting in fights with fans and stuff like this. And that's another yeah. thing too that I notice is that the fan base, you know, is that the traditional fan base has been labeled as a toxic fan base. Anytime that they, that they, you know, criticize any kind of the stuff because it's not up to the, to the same standards that they're used to reading, which is, right. you know, it's like, you know, okay. I mean, I get it that there's new stuff, but even if something is new and different, we still expect it to have, you know, at least the same type of uh, high quality that we're used to. You know, as yeah. as fans, and and what's going on now is that because these pe these these this new talent is hiding behind their identities as the their main marketing point and stuff like that. Any kind of criticism, they just write it off as hate speech, and and I think it's now is the point that I've heard that when many people who review their their titles, their work, is that you know it's like often the questions they'll ask is, well, where are the editors? And now I think yeah. that the, this editing staff that you spoke of, you know, they've been changed out and fired and all this stuff. And now we have an editing staff that's afraid to stand up to these people because if right. they do, that means, you know, that then they get called, you know, racist and stuff like that. And that leads into the bigger um, thing of, you know, of whisper networks and, 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 you know, right. conspiracies and stuff like that into the, that's a deeper conspiracy which, you know, is alive and well, and, and it's been proven that it exists. It's a sort of the modern-day oh, yeah. McCarthy blacklist 
that we used to see yeah. in Hollywood is now in here for more of the, it's aimed right now at, you know, right leaning conservative talent. But now that all those people have been pushed off the reservation, it's now being used to just police anybody. And it's basically a way for, I guess, people to either, you know, secure their jobs is, is to, you know, basically, you know, like if you, if you challenge me or anything, I'm going to get you fired because I'll find right. it, find it, uh, a five year old racist tweet or, or something where you, you were edgy and used the N word or whatever. And then yeah. you'll get fired and, and everybody now is under the gun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that his, the, like you said, the whisper network thing is a real thing. Um, I believe, but I'm not 100% sure, but Heather Antos had a big hand of it in it if she didn't start it. And there has been, uh, actual screenshots, documentation and everything that this thing exists and that these people do everything that you said they try to do, which is if you aren't, 100% lockstep with us, you don't get to do what, you know, you don't get to be in this industry. And um, so, yeah, I mean, this industry has become one of those kinds of things, like you said, where it's been, it's been policed by people that either have their own agenda or they, um, I think a lot of it is to, they don't either take responsibility, can't take responsibility, haven't had to take responsibility. And I think that comes from the top down. I think a lot of the company execs and a lot of the company editors and, and artists and, you know, the whole gamut, um, are, uh, I, I really hate shitting on the, the new generation, uh, um, the millennials. <laughs> I really hate shitting on millennials. Uh, because I, I, a lot of, a large part of me believes that the things we're seeing out of millennials right now are not really in full their part because I think my generation did a shitty job of raising them, but they've never really had to be all that responsible for things because my generation, I don't feel it really had to be that responsible for us either. And we've always been kind of like dictated on what do we want to do? We set our mind to it. We can achieve it. We can have it and this and that, whatever. And I think, that my generation then went way far with the pendulum on instilling that in the millennial generation to the point that the millennial generation not only felt that they could achieve whatever they put their mind to, but they deserved it. And so now you've got adults that always feel like they deserve whatever they want to do to be able to do it. If you don't agree with them, then you're a bad person. And I think we're seeing that in the comic book industry. So the participation trophy kids – Exactly. And I know that's really kind of cliche to say that because everybody's saying that these days. And I don't really mean it to be derogatory as in, ah, millennials suck. And this, I don't think that at all. I don't think millennials as a generation suck. I don't think that, you know, I, I think it's the problem with just kind of society in general from older people down to younger people is that we've gotten this kind of overall entitlement idea that if we want to do this, then we should be able to be successful at it. And if we're not successful at it, it's because it's that guy that doesn't agree with me. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really seeing a lot of in the comic book realm with when, and the only reason, and the only way, in my opinion, the only way, because the conversation me and you are having right now, there would be a lot of people that are like, you know, I want to work for Marvel, so I'm not going to get into this. Or I want to work for DC, DC so I'm not going to say anything. 
Well, I don't care about working for either one of those companies. And I think that's the thing that has to happen is people, the only way to, to combat this, the only way to combat people going, well, you don't agree with me, so you don't get to do this. The only way to combat people from doing that is just say, I don't want to work for you. Yeah, yeah. Don't surrender that power to them. And that's when a lot of the, the indie people are doing with like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and stuff like that. And they're being super successful with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically these participation trophy kids, if they have the right check boxes and they can digivolve yeah. into purse puppies for the industry. And then they get to police it and keep everyone out. And the drawbridge that they use to get up, they get to then pull up, you know, and, and policing and making sure that no one else can achieve the success that they did. Right. You know, because, and that, that's another thing that I've noticed is they, they all have this obsession with being the first, the first this, the first that. And the thing yeah. is, is that the, the firsts have like, they've, that kind of stuff has been happening since the seventies. Oh yeah, and, and everything, and like way, that. way, way even before they were even born, way before even when their parents were born. Yeah, and and it's like, I mean, yeah, stuff changes from generation to generation, and and I understand that, you know, I mean, I don't want to crap on millennials as well because there's a lot of stuff where they've you know fine tuned our society, where yeah. because social media has changed and because stuff has changed so much. Is it you know a lot of people would point would make cynical articles of you know millennials killed this industry millennials killed that industry and then when we take a look at it you know some of them some of it is just you know malicious maliciousness and yeah. some of it is just you know there is an element of truth to it where you know that industry is whatever it is that they killed out you know they they no longer needed to take a part in because you know it was yeah. no longer necessary or viable so it was going to die out anyway and they're just the yeah, generation yeah. That, that just figured out, you know, I really don't need this product, so I'm not going to buy it anymore because I have right. this app on my phone type of thing. And, and you know, and I do feel like they, they get a lot of undo stuff like that because there are a lot – there there is a good generation out there. You know, us, our, our generation, we were so afraid of becoming our parents that, yeah. that I, I think it's like a lot of us didn't listen to when our parents were actually right about stuff. Yeah. I agree. And, and it's, and we, we were afraid to make the, the hard choices that, that would have, you know, that we felt toughened us up. And it's like, and then we see kids growing up without that resilience. And then, yeah. you know, instead of resilience, it's resentment and, and, mm -hmm. and this sense of, of overachievement, but it's unearned. It's like, it's not yeah, it's achievement, like but it's ex expectation. Yeah. They're, they're expecting stuff, but they don't know that to get it, they have, they have to, that they have a responsibility to, to make it happen as well type of thing. And you won't always get it the first time either. Mm -hmm. And see, that's a, another big part of our society in general is everybody wants, wants what they want. And they want it now. And they want it the first time and they don't want to accept that there could be failure. And then you can, you can, uh, overcome that failure and be better for it. Yeah. And sometimes stuff just doesn't work out because yeah. I remember there's this meme with like, I think it was John Luke Picard or whatever, when he's not doing the head desk thing, there's another one where he's, he's saying, you know, you can do everything right and still fell. Exactly. And yeah. that's, that's probably the hardest lesson. It's like, you know, I did everything right. I did everything correctly and, and still, you know, didn't make it. 
you know, that's right. probably the hardest lesson because you can go through all the effort and stuff like that. And, and, you know, and something just won't work out. Well, when I, I, I want to stress too, you know, when I talk about stuff like this is I'm talking about from an experience point of view, because I was an entitled, you know, asshole too, thinking that, you know, if I wanted to do it, I, I, you know, could achieve it. And, you know, it was, it was always, that's not necessarily always somebody else's fault that it wouldn't happen with me, but, you know, I would get frustrated with things and give up quickly and stuff like that. And, you know, it just, eventually you've got a road to go down. It's either you can keep going down that road and never get anywhere, or you can start realizing that, you know, stuff doesn't always go right, doesn't always go your way. And, You've just got to, you know, suck it up. And um, so I understand, you know, the point of view that pretty much all these people are talking from. It's just I think that our society in general has gone down a road where it's like, well, if I can't achieve it, it's because you don't agree with me. And then I'm going to have to, you know, cut you out or make you pay or whatever. And I think the only way, like I said, to, to get away from that in an industry that has – that seems to be permeated, and that's the whole entertainment industry, from comics to movies to TV for everything, is to not partake and then yeah. do your own thing. And that was the beautiful thing, I thought, about the internet in the early 2000s because I saw for the first time um, creators, no matter how good or bad they were, they didn't have to go through gatekeepers anymore. We had the internet. We had our own ability to set our stuff, our work up on the internet and promote it, and people would read it. You know, before the internet, to make a comic, you had to make the comic, the physical comic and everything, and then pass it out to all your friends or maybe people at the comic shop or whatever. It was a very limited audience. But with the internet, you had potentially, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, and you could relatively easily and quickly and cheaply get it out to people, and I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. But then you fast forward like 10 years, and it's like Loki says in, in The Avengers – is that it seems like we're made to be ruled because then it's all of a sudden we want gatekeepers again and we don't want to take the hard work to like promote our own stuff. We want somebody to do it for us or somebody to print it or somebody, you know, all this. And it's like, think, figure those things out yourself. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah, let, let me, let me ask you something. Um, I think it was like maybe 10, maybe 20 years ago, Penny Arcade was pretty much the gold standard of webcomic success that they pretty much became their own industry. Right. Do you think in this day and age, given the gatekeeping and all this stuff like that, that anything like that could ever achieve the success that it would have, you know, the maybe 10, 20 years ago? I, I think yes, because I think there are people that are, eh, I, don't, I don't think there's people, I can't think of anybody right now that has been a startup in the last, five or 10 years that's achieved the level that Penny Arcade has because Penny Arcade, I think what one of their big, um, big things was, is that they started all of the gaming conventions. And I think that did a big part of getting their name out there. Um, plus they had a, a really good business guy. And so I think the game because when Penny Arcade and uh, PVP and other other comics like that mm -hmm. started, I was dabbling in web comics too around '98, and so the game was way different than it is now. Because for one, in '98 there wasn't that many people on the internet, period, and for two, 
there wasn't that many comics and, and stuff like that on the internet that was competing for each other. And so it, it was more of like everybody was in a brotherhood sort of, but they were competing against each other. Nowadays, it's, you know, comics will start up and then, you know, they all, they'll need to have like, you know, a million views on social media or they're not counted as successful at all. So they're ditched or, you know, stuff like that. So the way, and that's another thing is that putting your own website out there, building your own comic and then putting your own website out there and then, you know, selling ads or getting ad revenue from it and stuff like that is pretty much gone because of social media, because most people don't leave social media ever. Yeah. And so if you want your comic to be seen, you have to put it on social media and good luck with putting like a panel up there and getting them to click on it, to go to your website. So you get that ad revenue. Most people are not going to do that. Mm. So short answer to what you said. I, yeah, I don't know that the way Penny arcade did it. I don't know that that could happen. I think, I think the best thing, the best close thing, closest thing, that's happening now to that is crowdfunding where it's like Indiegogo and Kickstarter. There's been a couple of really big guys that were, uh, that are indie creators that have made, you know, have million dollar campaigns consistently. And, um, I think that's probably the closest thing to what Penny, you know, Penny Arcade was and, and it is today. I, I'm, I, yeah, I think it's real. I think it would be really hard because there's so much competition now, mm-hmm. not with just like regular guys and indie people, but like corporate competition and stuff like that to do something that Penny Arcade grew into over 20 years. I just, I don't know. I, I always, I always hesitate to say no, it can't happen because, you know, it happened once. So I don't see why not. But at the same time, is it a lot harder? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I- yeah, I think that's a, that was sort of an off the cuff question. I, I just had to think of something right yeah. there. But I, I will say this much is that the gatekeeping stuff, it doesn't stop. I think, uh, Kickstarter is under a lot of criticism because a lot of the, uh, establishment gatekeepers from the comics industry are now, you know, weaseling their way into positions yeah. of power. And, and it's like, I think some people, they have to go to Indiegogo. And I, that, this is something that really gets me is that, it's not enough that, you know, to say like, oh, this person's a toxic homophobe, whatever, because they disagreed mm-hmm. with me or made me look stupid on Twitter. But now I'm going to make yeah. it orchestrated to where they can't make money through Kickstarter, that they have to go yeah, through Indiegogo or, or some other independent crowdfunding thing. And, and that really, that really gets under my skin because it's, yeah. it's, and now we see it with uh, Patreon as well, where Patreon, they're starting to police their content or they're starting to police their creators yeah. when it's like, yeah. it's like, that's not your job. Same thing with, with Kickstarter. Yeah. It's like they're, they're trying to do stuff that isn't their job. And, and it's, and it's all done not out of any, you know, real concern for anyone's personal safety, which is often the guise that is used. It is done under for simply political clout. And, and political yeah. expediency and, and that alone. And that, that's something that, you know, and I do feel like I think the days of piracy, piracy mm-hmm. now isn't what it was in the nineties or when we were growing up with all the bit torrent stuff like that. 
I mean, yeah. it's gotten to the point now where people want to support the stuff that they love. And now yeah. the gatekeeping ol oligarchs are getting in the way of that. I mean, uh, one of the perfect yeah. examples I, I like to bring up and, and it's like, and, and people hate this because it's like, oh, he's a horrible person is this comedian. I think it's Owen Benjamin. I mean, he's extremely abrasive. You know, the earth is flat. You know, uh, the moon is going to get us and stuff like that. You know, but he yeah. has his audience. You know, he entertains them. He does his thing. But nearly right. every single payment processor he gets pulled out of from her. He, he gets pulled out from, from Patreon. He gets pulled out from every single little thing. And, and they're, they're trying to pull the rug out from under him. And it's got to the point that he's had to, you know, him and his partner with Vox Day, they've had to create their own monopoly to sustain yeah. themselves so that they're they're so that they can gain support from people who want to support them. And it's just, I know that's probably not the best example, but it's, it's definitely the most effective one to show you how far people will go just to try to, to just to try to destroy it, an individual whose, you know, only crime was, you know, disagreeing with people. Right. And now they're, they're like, I mean, cause you, you could, he said horrible things, you know, and it's like, okay, so what, you know, yeah. but the thing is, if people want to support him, you know, they should have that option. They should be able to do that. But so many people have gotten in the way of it. Then now it's got to the point that people have to mail him money through the mail, yeah. through the U.S. Postal Service to support yeah. him, that those are the links that people are willing to go to support creators and right. and it's just it's just it's just atrocious where i see you know all of these because i'm i'm on the conspiracy stuff and i'm on the fringe and stuff i'm constantly seeing creators that you know they're constantly deplatformed and removed from stuff another one sam tripley he's always has stuff pulled the rug pulled out from under him because he'll say some pretty you know uh crazy stuff and the thing is he's a comedian he's supposed to say outlandish stuff he's yeah. supposed to be ridiculous he and as a conspiracy theorist he's supposed to be wacky and out there but because you know establishment people or some people under the guise of what they believe is you know righteousness you know they're they're getting in the way of that and it's gotten to the point that we're hit, seeing a wave of i, I want to say like reverse piracy or anti-piracy where people yeah. are going through as many nooks and crannies as they would to download something illegally instead to pay and support the creators that they want to support. They have to jump through all these hoops. And I just yeah. find that atrocious and it sucks that we're getting to that. Yeah. It's not ideal. I, for as early as the two thousands, I always told personal friends of mine that because I have had personal friends that were like, well, you can't regulate the internet because it's, you know, this, that, whatever, it's not broadcasting yeah. and all this. And, I've always said, well, first off, the government at any time can change the definition of broadcasting. Secondly, all you have to do to regulate the internet is you regulate the internet service providers. And it hasn't necessarily gone that way, but I have also in the last 10 years been telling people not to put all their eggs in one basket, such as if you want to do a webcomic or if you want to do anything on the internet, music or whatever, create your own website. Through an end, you know, through a, 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 a hosting company and put all your work up there. Because if you put it on all your stuff on Tumblr or Facebook or whatever, if those companies at the time I was saying, if those companies go out of business, then it's all lost. I never really envisioned that if those companies for some reason decide that you shouldn't have that voice, they can take it all away. But 
it's still the same thing. And so it's not really to me that outlandish that these com- that that people are trying to regulate things on the internet because with any new mass media communication, whether it's radio or television or any of that stuff, the government specifically, but other companies and corporations have sought to regulate it as much as they can to their benefit. So it does suck that this is happening. Uh, it's not that surprising to me. Um, but again, you know, like the ways around those things are hard. But the ways around those things is you've got to be as self-sufficient as you possibly can. You know, I mean, de- depending on, I mean, my, I have a Patreon and, uh, I, I've got a, a handful of people that are pretty loyal to it. And, uh, I've had no problems with Patreon ever. And, uh, but at the same time, I try to diversify my other income from other places because if anything ever did happen and Patreon went out or Patreon decided to, you know, kick conservatives off or do whatever Patreon decides to do, I mean, you're at the whim of Patreon. You're at the whim of PayPal. You're at the whim of, you know, Gumroad or who, whoever it might be. So it, it's really, it's really tough trying to navigate, I guess, those kinds of things. And I think a lot of the reason that we're seeing this is because for so long we have kind of lived in this indulgent world where, where, you know, the terms have been thrown around where it's like your truth or you're this or you're that. And we don't have an actual real truth in anything. So everybody's dangerous, especially comedians, because comedians say things off the cuff that are stupid and ridiculous, but if people aren't grounded in what's real, they could believe that. And then, then you have like the opening for Patreon or for PayPal or for whoever to say, well, that comedian saying crazy things. People might believe that and, you know, actually do those things or whatever. Well, we've taken away, like we said, we've taken away personal responsibility and what's real. And now we've got insanity. Yeah. And now pretty much hysteria rules. I mean, try to just say anything yeah. about the, the elections during the election time. And you would see yeah. a, a banner come up on your post saying, you know, that this is, that this is unregulated, unsubstantiated, unfact checked. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just, it's just, and this is social media telling us that, or at least yeah. the, the largest avenues of social media, you know, the Facebook and the Twitter. If you so much as talk about COVID or, or, um, or the election results in a way that, that they don't want you to, they stomp you, they stomp you down. And yeah. people have been, you know, conspiring that they're shadow banning people. Well, it's like now they don't have to shadow ban people. They just, they just regulate everyone now. They just regulate right. everyone's speech. And I think Twitch has started sort of, you know, jumping the, jumping another hurdle where now you can't say certain words on there, you know, type of thing. And they weren't ever, they weren't slurs of any kind, but they've now become, you know, slurs because they said they were. And it's just, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And you know, you know, my, always my, my go-to is the alternative to any of this stuff is to get off the platforms or whatever. Um, but here's what's the, you know, this whole year with COVID and everything else has brought me to a lot of like realizations about people 
that I've just, it's left me like speechless because I was like, I didn't think people would go this far on things. But, um, like for instance, you know, people are always constantly complaining that, you know, Facebook sucks and Facebook this and Facebook that. And then you tell them, well, hey, follow me over to Parlor, follow me over to MeWe or wherever. And they're like, ah, but none of my friends are over there. Okay. Well, get them to come over there too. You know, when you started Facebook, you didn't have any friends on there either. You've just <laughs> forgotten because you've been on Facebook for 20 years. Yeah, you can make new it, friends. Yeah, you're not going to just go over and then it's like, bam, on Parlor is going to be all your friends and everything on Facebook. Have them come over too. And if they don't want to, then they're not going to do it. But here's the problem. People don't want to do the hard work a lot of the times to create a, another user base or fan base or whatever. They don't want to do the hard work. They Again, it goes back to they want to do what they want to do and then they want to be successful at doing it right now. And if, they, if that's not going to happen, then, you know, it, it's like, it's like rather than go into that or go out of that dark cave that you're living in and into the outer world that's scary and crazy because you hear all these crazy noises, rather than do that, you will stay in the cage and get or in the cave and get bit by spiders every night because at least that's the the torture you know. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty extreme, but it's the same kind of thing. Rather than try the new thing. Because it's scary, you'll stay with the misery that you know. Yeah. You know, most people will. And I just never thought people would be like that. But that seems to be the way people are. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a bit of work to, to, to take this alternate, alternate platforms. And, and I'm, you know, since I've jumped to parlor, you know, I'm like, okay, this is doable. I, I, I can manage this. It's not easy. I mean, cause I've, I've barely touched my Gab account and, and forever yeah. because yeah. I just wasn't getting in any kind of interaction, but yeah. on parlor, it's been mostly positive and, mm-hmm. and I, I do enjoy it, you know, and, and even, even though there is some uncouth stuff in there, it's like the wild west again, you know, and, and yeah. I, I greatly enjoy it, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, there, there is some stuff that I'd come across that, you know, that I used to see on new grounds all the time. Yeah. But now it's like, it's like, whoa, wait, you know, it's sort of a shock to my system that I'm like, oh, wait, this, this isn't Twitter. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not, I don't have to be scared of, of even, of even looking at this stuff anymore, you know, and it's, you know, and, and yeah, we, we, we all have to sort of in the whole diversifying your, 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 your content and stuff like that. Cause it, you know, I'm hearing stuff like, uh, like rumble and, um, other type of, you know, uh, let's see, what's the other one? Not, not YouTube, but bit shoot, bit shoot that they're, yeah. they're gearing up to start streaming. And then, and it's just all this, this stuff out there. Yeah. I have accounts on both of those too. Um, because I used to be a pretty hardcore user of YouTube and I still use YouTube to like watch things and listen to music and stuff. But I used to, I had over, I don't know, I had almost 500 videos on YouTube, um, until about this time last year. Uh, and, um, it was just, and I was on YouTube from almost, I think the first year they were out. I was from then on, I was on that and it was just the little needling things over that many years that they did that was like you know they'll they'll take a little bit from you 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 until i got to the point where it's like i'm done because i'm not willing to give anymore and it was that point where 
you know, there was this perceived notion that you could be fined like $32,000 for something on your own, blah, 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 whatever. And it, it, it wasn't just so much that fine as it was like, these regulations are, it, it, I just had it. I don't know. I don't know. So I ditched everything and I haven't really done videos for at least a year, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and, but I, you know, I started Rumble, uh, account and, uh, a bit shoot account just to see how they, how they are. And, uh, Rumble's a little more polished. Bit shoot has been around longer, but bit shoot seems a lot more fringy. You know, than Rumble does. Rumble seems like it's trying to gear itself more towards, you know, mainstream people and stuff. And so I'm, hope, I'm hoping those things pan out. I'm hoping that stuff like Parlor pans out. I mean, I really like Parlor. I hope it stays around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Minds, I'm, I'm on Minds too. I'm even on Gab. But like you said, Gab is, I mean, I can see the potential. But like somebody, there was somebody on Facebook or somewhere the other day that said the problem with Gab is that it may be a superior platform, but nobody's on it. (laughs) And so nobody wants to go somewhere that nobody's on. And, you know, you can kind of equate that to uh, MMOs if you're a gamer. It's like, you know, there have been a lot better MMOs than World of Warcraft. But when you get in and play them and you're by yourself, it's just no fun. Yeah. And so... You know, I mean, but things are changing. See, that's the thing that I, that I like is that things are changing. There are alternatives, you know, like two, three, four years ago, none of these places were alternatives. It was like, you stick with Facebook, you don't like it. What are you going to do? Well, now you can leave. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I go, I do go to YouTube like every day, but I go there for the news. And of course, my version of the news is, you know, I'm watching the, the comic creators and stuff like that, or, yeah. or, in, you know, the independent creators, you know, they're basically filtering the news for me, you know, just putting their personal spin on it, talking about upcoming movies and games and stuff like this, you know, right. stuff that I'm interested in. And, and of course, they have to jump through all these hurdles. Cause I yeah. notice when I, when I go to YouTube and even DLive, people speak a different language. You know, they, they, you know, like you and me saying COVID or, 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 you know, or, you know, even the, the slurs and stuff like that, you know, they have to crawl around everything. Yeah. And it's yeah. just completely changing the light. It's almost like a sort of coded speak. And now with, well, you know, it's, it's basically censored television. You know, it's the same thing they yeah. did with television. There was, you know, in the beginning of, of television and especially radio, there were a bunch of tiny little broadcast stations at one time. And then, you know, the government came in and started regulating things and, and people started accepting that, you know, if I watch this or that, then there's certain language, it's not going to be there or whatever. And so you become, <clears throat> it becomes, you know, a censored type of type of curated kind of thing. And yeah. I think the main place that was the downfall. The main reason that was the downfall of YouTube is when, like you said earlier in this um, podcast, is that the money became involved. When the advertisers came in, that's when um, YouTube made a decision that advertisers were more important than their create content creators. And so it was either you play ball or you don't get to play. Yeah, I mean, cause it's, it, it's just, it's hilarious cause I'm watching the YouTube channels and they can say fuck shit piss until they're blue in the face. But if they say COVID, 
then they're yeah. demonetized and their video is taken down and they yeah. lose their channel and stuff like that. So instead they'll say, you know, play words like beer bug or, 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 or the coof or something like that. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's, it's hilarious, but at the same time, it's also kind of sad. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, that's the funny thing about, um, especially younger generations is that they will find ways around your stupid rules. Um, and that's been from the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. So. The, the youth are always <laughs> resilient. Yeah. yeah, the youth are always yeah. resilient. They'll always find a way to get on your yard. Oh yeah, they will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, let, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and, and we'll wrap it up, but we'll, we'll go ahead and in our last segment, let's go ahead and talk about some of the content that's being pushed out there. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was how the, the MCU, their upcoming lineup, you know, mirrors their 2015 lineup and, and the DC, you know, they're pushing into the, this young adult novel thing. And now I think yeah. a lot of the people there have been fired because the, the company that bought them out, AT&T, they're really pulling the crunch on them. And yeah. one of the, the latest debacles that they've had is this, uh, novel called I Am Not Starfire, which is supposed to be, you know, uh, the author's self insert of her, her, basically herself with Starfire as her mom. And it's supposed to make Starfire look like a horrible person. I, I don't know what, what, it, what it is, but yeah, you know, the stuff that they're pushing out now, I, I mean, you, you probably watch well, a lot more of the, the DC stuff than I do. So, <laughs> well, first off, the things that I've seen coming out of the young adult market, whether it be comics or novels or stuff like that. And this, this could be cause I'm 49 years old. So this could be just the, you know, the old grumpy man talking kind of thing. But a lot of the stuff that I see coming out of that is questionable on whether the young adult audience should be introduced to a lot of these things, sexual <laughs> things, things that are not necessarily, um, for, well, that, you know, that's, polite company that's what, that's stuff. what's being pushed, but that's not what's selling. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what's being pushed. And since I don't really follow the young adult market as far as like, you know, like hardcore, um, I see the things being pushed. So I'm, I'm just taking at word value or at face <laughs> value that people are buying this stuff. Now, if they're not buying this stuff, if the market itself is rejecting it, then the market is doing what the market is going to do. And, and I'm all for that. I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't let certain creators make things because of some sort of, you know, philosophical or, or, um, moral rejection that I have, unless it's something that is blatantly as a society that we've accepted shouldn't be pushed to kids. But then that line is starting to fade a little bit more. But anyway, uh, so if they're, if, if those things aren't selling, that's, I think that's good. If yeah. that's not what the market wants, then yeah. that, yeah, because I mean, with, with the, when the reports came out, the biggest sellers were Dogman comic books. I mean, Dogman graphic novels yeah. for young adults. And that's uh -huh. basically a, a spinoff of the Captain Underpants. And it's basically, you know, McGruff the crime dog, you know, a sketchy looking McGruff the crime dog type of thing. And, and it's just uh -huh. innocent, goofy fun. That's the number one seller. Yeah. They're, they're trying to chase that, but they're not doing it by making stuff 
good and appealing to youth. Instead, we have these people trying to push their agenda. They're trying to act. Yeah. They're the activist in them cannot let go for two seconds and, and just say, you know, let me try to try to make a sale. Instead, it's yeah. like, Oh, I have to push my agenda and stuff like that. It's like they're, they're aiming for the, the, they know that this is successful. So we will do this, but instead of doing, you know, what is successful in that vein, they, they just do the same old garbage. And yeah. then what's outselling them, of course, it, you know, in, in the international market, of course, is when, when people go to, they're buying manga, you know, they're, yeah. they're buying manga by droves. And the thing yeah. is, is that, you know, it, it doesn't matter where they get it, you know, even though this is like the, the entertainment model that I've heard that Japan uses is where the manga will always be there. The manga will be in like 20 something volumes and then the anime and the merchandise and all that stuff. That's to bring people to the manga. Yeah. And, and whether we're in us in the, in the, the domestic market, we don't have anything like that. We don't have it set up. Um, all of our, all of our movies and stuff, people who watch the movies don't go into the comic book stores. You know, I did that no, myself and, and I would, I've told you numerous times how I was disappointed. And then the well, people who read the comic books, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. They'll go watch the movies and stuff like that. They, they, they whine and bitch about it because it's not like the yeah. comics, but you know, they, they still go. They don't go as much, but they still go. Well, yeah. not only that, but we've got an entire generation now. That when you talk about Captain America or Thor or Loki or Spider-Man or any of that stuff, we've got – depending on who you're talking to, we've got an entire generation that knows who you're talking about from the movies. They've never read a comic. They don't even think about the comics. They won't ever read a comic. So we've gotten an entire you know, segment of fans of these characters that don't know the source material. And, uh, you know – I'm not one of those kind of people that's like, well, you got to be true to the source. I mean, different mediums are different mediums. But what I'm kind of trying to like herald or trumpet is that if you think comic books, the mainstream comic books are going to stick around forever, I think you're going to be surprised when they're gone. Hmm. Because Disney makes tons of money off the movies. And makes tons of money off of TV shows and makes tons of money. The comics are there because they're there. And as soon as it becomes that they're more of a hassle than they're worth, they're gone. And they may reprint like large volumes of older comics and stuff. You know, some of the, some of the 80s and 90s stuff, Jim Lee stuff, some of the, you know, the, the big names and stuff like that. But, um, and, and, you know, that might even go back to, like, the newsstand, you know, where you can get them in the grocery store or whatever. But I, I really do think that if you're a kid right now wanting to get into the comic book industry and you're putting your hopes in building your portfolio to submit to Marvel or DC to make a career 10, 20 years from now, there won't be a, there won't be a career to be made. Yeah, I mean, that stuff, I mean, the comics, the, the old stuff, It'll always exist in some archived form. Yeah. And we'll, we'll always be able to reference it as, you know, you know, Hey, check out how cool this stuff was back in the day, you know, type of thing yeah. that, that, that'll always be there. As far as new content that, that's coming out, as far as, as an industry 
it's creating and moving forward. You know, I mean, yeah, it'll, it'll probably like never go away in, in some capacity, but it'll be greatly reduced and uh, we'll probably see, you know, more independent stuff, you know, rising up to sort of, you know, fill in the blanks and stuff like that, that that's left. But even then, you know, that's going to be, you know, highly curated where, you know, like only the best are going to survive. Well, you know, having, after having said what I just said and and thinking about it um, and listening to what you just said is you're right. I think that rather than the whole, um, because, you know, older stuff will always be there, but I think you're right that newer stuff will be there. But I think say Disney, for instance, I think they'll fold their comic creation into a Disney type of, of workflow. Like they make cartoons and there won't be, you know, like these individual creators that you buy books for. It'll be like you buy the books for, you know, the Superman story. I mean, not Superman, but then, you know, this, um, <clears throat> like, uh, Iron Man story or this, uh, Captain America story or whatever. And it will, those things will be more like, you know, what the Disney Channel cartoons are. It, they'll be the Disney Channel comic book versions of Marvel. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, because they are bringing in, because they're they're right now that they're shaking loose. They're 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 shaking out who they can, you know, yeah. except for the purse puppies. They'll they'll always, they have to keep them on because if they don't, then they're going to get called racist. That that's their Twitter protection. You yeah, know, they they basically, you know, they they keep the bullies on staff so that they'll keep the rest out, and. Yeah. And that, that's always going to be a constant, you know, they'll always get work. But the thing is, is that there'll always, there'll also be, you know, like other stuff, like, you know, so long as it, cause they're, they're bringing in other people too, from who write television and movies and stuff like that. Right. They're bringing in the people who do that to make, you know, comics and stuff like as, as part of the creative teams now. So what, what you're describing does sound like that's what we're going to be seeing in the future. Yeah. And, um, and I don't think all this woke stuff either is going to la- last forever. Um, I think there are enough people that um, are going to grow up, basically, and get more mature and realize that, you know, all this wokeism, all of this, you know, calling people racist and, and whatnot, sexist and whatnot, isn't the way that you can get anywhere in life and not only that i think people even people that that participate in bullying or fighting or anything after doing it for long enough i think most people get tired of it and they're just going to start ignoring it and i mean i think you see a lot of that with with television shows um i mean there's a lot of stuff that starts out woke and then they get a little less woke or they just go away um so, I mean, the, the CW, the CW has, you know, all the Disney, I mean, not the Disney, but the, all the DC TV shows, you know, Flash, mm-hmm. Batwoman, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, Green Arrow and a lot of that stuff was really great until they started doing a lot of the, you know, the, the woke kind of thing. I mean, Batwoman is the big one that you can think of because it has pretty much in the writing, Every cliche you can think of. 
Yeah, it, it's it, it's know, agenda driven. It it was made purely for agenda clout. Exactly, and then now they've got you know the 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 lesbian actress, and I don't say lesbian any derogatory term, but the lesbian actress uh, woman that you know was in Orange Is the New Black, and she's you know on your woke agenda of of actors to get. They got her to, you know, inaugurate the show. And then it, I guess like after season one, she wasn't, you know, on the list of woke enough or something like that. And so now they changed the actress again to, I'm assuming is another, uh, gay woman that's black that I guess is now she's on the woke agenda list or something yeah, like yeah. that. More, more so check. It's like they're more starting to boxes. like eat each other. Yeah, there's there's more. She checks more boxes, and exactly. they had to she checks more of the yeah. boxes than the other woman did, and so it's starting to like cave in on themselves because used to it was like, well, we've got this, you know, it's like you were talking about with all the first. Well, we've got this gay character, you know, family. Uh, Modern Family is a great example. You know, when that show came out, it was like, you know, it, huge controversy because it was gay characters, and then it was, you know, they had kid together, and then they had, you know, this older guy that was like married to this woman that was hot and way younger and all of a sudden now that's like normal. Hmm. That's like normal. And it, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, there's been a lot of things said about that show that um it's still not diverse enough because it's all these rich rich white people that are, you know, in the show. And so it's that kind of thing where it's like, okay, we've kind of given you this agenda type of thing to go off of. We haven't given you really great stories, but we've given you this agenda type of thing. Um, but then they'll be appeased, you know, and I say they, you know, the larger, you know, woke crowd or whatever, will be appeased for a little while, and then there's something else that you're not being woke enough about. And so it it can't be satisfied. And I think enough people are going to see that eventually and they're just going to give, give it up. Yeah. The goalposts are constantly moving. You know, it, it's yeah. never going to be enough. And the thing is these shows, I mean, they don't get the ratings that, that they're, they're supposed to. I mean, if they do something shocking enough, they'll, the people will watch out of curiosity. But then if they, they don't have the substance to truly keep them, because like I said, exactly. it's, it's just a one trick pony where it's like, the checkboxes and the, the purse puppy stuff like that, that that's all that they have. Yeah. And they're not going to do any substance, like any, anything challenging with the character, because if they write in any kind of challenge or, or, or anything, then that, you know, then people are going to get upset because they're going to be offended. They're like, Oh, how dare yeah. this person, you know, do this when it's, it's like, well, it's supposed to be about a, a character getting challenged and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's like Ray in Star Wars. Um, I think the reason a lot of people were upset with that writing is that she never had to like earn anything. It was always, she could always talk to BB-8. She could always talk to Chewbacca. She could always use a lightsaber. She could always like beat up anybody with her staff. She could always, you know, she could drive the Millennium Falcon like straight off the bat. If her arms were long enough, she could do it by herself. I mean, you know, it was all this. You know, she never had to earn anything. And yeah. that's the point of stories. You've got to build in the earning of it so that people yeah. care. Yeah, there's got to be conflict so that the characters are interesting. 
and yeah. she like bypassed the hero's journey. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, a lot of these shows they're they're failing because of you know the the wokeness and stuff like that. But the thing is, the creators they have an easy out because they'll just go on Twitter because that's what matters, and they'll yeah. go on Twitter and just say, "Well, the reason that we failed isn't because." You know, we didn't try. It's because everybody else is 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 racist. It's their fault. It's, it's everyone because of toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. It's basically yeah. they say this toxic fan base. Say we don't need you, toxic men, males, and and usually yeah. they're all ways straight white men because they're the only people that are capable of being toxic, and anyone else who is you know either well, a woman or, or of color. They're the ones watching it. <laughs> yeah, they're the audience. Yeah, everyone else who's woman, who's a woman or a person of color that agrees with the the straight white males or or echoes their sentiments, yeah. you know, they have eternalized misogyny or or yeah. racialism and stuff like that, which is you know, which is just obnoxious. But yeah. the the point is being is that with that, with doing all of the 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 stuff and and saying that, you know, like well. We're lamenting and blaming this audience that we told is not welcome here, that yeah. they're not partaking or consuming a product that was, that wasn't made for them, that yeah. we told them to stay away from. And yeah. then we're mad that, that they don't show up. Like with the, uh, the, the birds of up, prey they thing. Don't, yeah. Like herald it and. Yeah. Yeah. And they hold it to this ridiculous standard that they hold everything to, you know, that, that they've watched before and cross examine yeah. it with stuff that they like and, and point out, you know, why the stuff that they like is better and type of stuff and, and things like that. And you know, it's just, you know, it, it's one of those, yeah, you'll never win type of scenarios because they'll always yeah. have an out. And even if you point out how ridiculous it is, then they'll just move the goalpost and say, well, your criticism is, you know, X, Y, Z is the phobe. Yeah. Well, and, and not only that, but, uh, you know, some of these same woke people are going to wake up one day and find out that they're being told they're not woke enough either. And so I think eventually people will get tired of that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do eat their own and, and it is, it is kind of fun to watch them to eat their own. But the oh, problem yeah. is, is that, you know, they have, they hold these, these reins of power over these properties that, that I love, that I enjoy, that I'm in genuinely, yeah, they hold the reins to all these properties that, that I love so much and enjoy. And they're basically, you know, I mean, what I want to see is I want to see good stuff. I want to see good shows. Yeah. They have the reins to all these, you know, great properties and they could tell so many good stories with them. And mm -hmm. they have, you know, like all these great artists and stuff at them, you know, at their most of the time, you know, <clears throat> yeah. at, at their ready. And instead, they're just, you know, pushing these these agendas. And the thing is, I mean, political agenda and stuff like that has always been in comics. Yeah. I mean, to say that it wasn't is just completely naive. There right. was always political pandering and, and agenda in comics. But the, the thing is, is before it was done, you know, either subtly or done in a clever way to, you know, make the character think or and sometimes both sides were shown. You know, but now it's just, it's just this, this hammered one-sidedness 
that's just so off-putting. And when they, when any kind of, you know, criticism is met up, you know, they, they do the old, you know, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not being criticized. I'm being attacked and stuff like that. And right. it's just childish and stuff like that. And the thing is, is that because these people, because the big tech and the big companies are, are sticking up for these, these, these creators, you know, that they were pushed in that, that really would, didn't choose to be there. They just fell into it, but they'll go with it because it provides them a platform to push their agenda. And because yeah. people are pushing back, they then get <clears throat> a built in enemy. So they get yeah. to push the, you know, like, Oh, I'm the hero because I'm doing this thing. And it's like, no, you're, you're the bad guy. You're, you're the bad guy yeah. because you don't get it. You're trying to do this thing. You're, you're, you're not good at it. We're trying to tell you, you know, how you can be good at it, but you don't want to listen because you have this agenda to push because that's what got you where you are type of thing. Yeah. And it's just rather obnoxious. Well, they've got this preconceived idea of, of who those people that are pushing back are, you know, these, the, you know, the backwater hillbillies or whatever. They, they just assume that they don't know what they're talking about. And, uh, you know, to make an analogy, a comic book analogy, it's, it used to be kind of like the X-Men and, um, you know, Xavier and Magneto. They were both at odds with each other, but they both wanted the same thing was they both wanted mutants to be able to coexist with humanity. They just had two different ways of going about it, but they agreed that they needed humans to accept mutants and Xavier wanted to do it nicely and Magneto wanted to do it by force, but at least, and they disagreed there, but at least they agreed on the base thing that they wanted to be able to coexist with humanity. Nowadays with, with the woke crowd, a lot of the woke crowd and with um, just everybody else, there's no agreement on that base on a basic idea. It's just that if you don't go lock and step with what we want to do, then you're bad. Because the Marvel properties and stuff like that, they don't care about them. They really don't. It's just a platform. But when yeah. it's stuff that they actually do care about, when like stuff like uh, Harry Potter comes under fire or Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer, when that stuff comes under fire is being rewritten or or re rewokeified. Then yeah. they get like all butthurt and stuff like, oh, you can't change this stuff. It, it's what I grew up with. And it's like, you know, they're making yeah. basically the same arguments when it happens to their favorite properties. Yeah, true. And, and it's just, it's just this sort of this, this thing. And, and, you know, and for once, you know, for that, I'm kind of glad that, that this stuff, you know, that this stuff isn't selling, but what's happening, unfortunately, is that these companies are bending over backwards to, to placate to this audience that yeah. doesn't support them. I mean, one of the things that I think the, the, the COVID has done is that it's helped us realize that I think that what's going to happen after is we're going to get a big old resurgence in human interaction. Yeah, I is think that, you're right. Yeah, that, that people are going to want to, to see each other and, and to smile at each other and interact. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, Basically, all this does is it locks us in our homes and locks us on Twitter and stuff like that. And then yeah. once we get out, it's like, hey, wait, you know, this is this is depressing. This is horrible. I want to get out in the real world. I want to see people and stuff yeah. like that. I want to interact with real people. Yeah. And hopefully that. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully that leads to like a resurgence in 
and human interaction and stuff like that. And that, that people will, you know, then realize that Twitter isn't life and what this yeah. is trying to do. And I think this goes into the greater conspiracy of social engineering and stuff like that is people are trying to make Twitter uh, their reality. Yeah. And the thing is, when you get to, when you actually talk to real people, when you just can't either block them or, or call them racist and have your, your backup audience ag agree with you, when you actually have to have a conversation with a person in real life, you know, then I yeah. think people are going to realize that, you know, that everything is nuanced and, and, you know, sometimes you can learn a lot from having a conversation and that's what's going, what isn't happening is that people, they're not talking to each other. They're not having conversations about it. They're, they're, you know, the second they find any kind of resistance, they just, they shut it down. I, and, and I think that happened, you know, in the early, that started in the early 2000s with, uh, with the college, um, with, with the educational system where they started yeah. anything different. They shut it down. You know, the, the students were shutting it down, not the professors and stuff like right, that. Right. And eventually professors were replaced that, you know, that were, that grew up with, that got those gender studies degrees and all they could do is become a gender yeah. studies professor. professor so yeah. again, so they have to, they have to make themselves valuable. So the only way to do that is then to create an enemy out of anyone who disagrees with them. And it's just, it's just horrendous. Not only that, but I, what I, what I want to emphasize with talking about all this that I don't think enough people emphasize on either side of these issues is that I have no, and I'm assuming you're the same way. I have no ill will or intent or anything about anybody. So I can, I can disagree with people all day long and I don't want to see them hurt. I don't want to see them shut out. I don't want to see anything bad happen to them. I can disagree with you and still care. Mm -hmm. And I think that is another thing that both sides of the issues have gotten to the point of is that they just think the other sides don't care either way about not just the issues but about the people on the other side and that's where we're heading into dangerous territory yeah yeah and and a lot of the thing is is that people's identities and 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 lifestyles and stuff is being weaponized yeah like yeah. i mean just look at all the the twitter stuff over the trans pronouns and dead naming things yeah you know i mean i have like two trans friends who are people that I talk to, you know, and, and I can talk to them about this kind of thing, but every yeah. other trans person, of course, is locked on activists and I haven't had as much interaction with them, but of course they yeah. all hate my guts and, you know, call me all these horrible things because, you know, I didn't laugh at their jokes hard enough. That's, yeah. that's it. I didn't laugh at their jokes hard enough. And it's like, well, you're, you're not funny. You know, it, it's, it's not my fault that, that you're not funny that I don't find, you know, I, I think one got mad because, you know, I, I didn't piggyback on, on, on her joke about listening to women urinate in the bathroom. I was like, I'm sorry. That's creepy. You know, that's yeah. not funny. <laughs> and, and other, others, you know, I can have, you know, great conversations with and talk about issues and we have the same stuff that we love. I mean, uh, on this show. I've, I yeah. brought one of my trans friends on and we talked about the trans issues and stuff like this. And, you know, I mean, we probably didn't, you know, come together on, on all the issues, but, you know, we're still great friends and, you know, and I, and I, you know, trust this person and, yeah. and really, you know, and enjoy their company, you know, and look forward to, you know, to, you know, just talking to them more because they're, they're good people. 
Well, I'm hoping that's how the majority of people are, that most normal people on either side of the issue are just like, whatever, man, live and let live. And the people that we hear about the most are just the small minority of, you know, crazy activists or outspoken people that, mm. you know, we can just go whatever, dude. Yeah, well, <laughs> the the problem is I think that that is the case. I think it's an 80-20 rule where yeah. 80% of the people are reasonable people, but it's just the 20% are so loud and vocal that they control, unfortunately, 100% of the conversation. Yeah. Be it yeah, college campuses right. or Twitter and now Facebook, you know, yeah. and, and the rest of us, we're sort of, we're, we're sort of hopping on these alternate platforms, pushing back, you know, sort yeah. of way that we just want, we just want normalcy and stuff like this. And it's, it's just, it's just rather obnoxious. Um, anything, anything that you want to get on before we wrap up? I think I pretty much <laughs> anything off the top of my head. I think we pretty much talked about, we've been, we've talked about quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We went over a lot of stuff. Yeah. We, we went over so much and, and it, it was really good to have you on to talk about these issues with you it. because I, I really don't have anybody that I could talk to the, to the, about this stuff with and yeah. someone that could really, you know, bring a lot to the table. And you brought a lot of stuff to the table that I didn't even think about that. I didn't even see. And, okay. and I'm glad that you did. Um, also one thing, you know, you got a, the, you're also a sponsor for the Holy Nerdy podcast. Uh-huh. I, I call yeah. it the Holly Nerdy podcast, but uh, <laughs> So many times I'll have people on and they'll have friends with that are like on other shows and they'll say, Hey, I can put in a good word with you with so and so. And I'm like, Oh, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm just humble. Yeah. And then of course <laughs> that, that, that bridge is closed, but this time I'm going to jump on it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going to quit being humble. You need okay. to get on the Holy Nerdic podcast ass because I challenged Chris to. A Marvel trivia challenge. I, I challenged oh, yeah. him openly to a Marvel trivia challenge. And he knows that I've challenged him and, and they, they, they've been sort of, you know, they're, they're doing their thing and all that stuff. But, you know, the challenge is still out there. I just want to make sure that they know that the challenge is still out there, that I want to challenge Chris to Marvel trivia and, yeah, and see actually, if you can, good show. <laughs> see if you can put in a good word in there for me and, and you know, uh, you know, rattle right. the cages a bit. <laughs> you do me that favor. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, I know those guys and I've known them for a while. So, um, you know, I, but I don't know exactly how much clout I have with their decision-making, but I would say that that would be a cool show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely put in that word. <laughs> That's all I'm asking for you is just that. Right. Yeah. Go ahead and give us uh, one more round of where we can find you. You can find my work at robotfriday.com. You can also find it at welcome to hope, texas.com. Um, I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Thomas Clemens. I also have a um, gum road that you can get to by going to robotfridaycomicstore.com. That's the easiest way to get there. And uh, that is my where you can buy digital downloads of all my Robot Friday comics that I had in print. They're out of print now. Um, and also you can find me on Parlor under Thomas Clemens. You can find me on MeWe under Thomas Clemens. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, just search Thomas Clemens there because I've got several Facebook pages and different things there. And um, I'm also on Instagram as uh, Instagram.com 
slash robot Friday. And I believe that's everything. All right. Thanks for coming on the show and, and thanks for we'll definitely me. talk to you later. So it was, this was a great one and kids, thanks for tuning in and we hope you all have a good day. Thank you. Good night.